0: Why do we make the choices we make? Sometimes what seems right in the moment can be a colossal mistake in life's rearview mirror. It's human nature. We never think the worst is going to happen. We live in a culture in which confessing and then trying to make up for our missteps has value in and of itself. The debate is whether that shows one's character or one's lack of saying. For many in this story, the road to perdition was as clear as the center line on an expressway. Easy to read, straight as a ruler, from the first hello to the last goodbye, and just as dangerous to cross. So then what about Heather Garris? The young wife and mother was just weeks shy of her 38th birthday when she was gunned down in a freezing parking lot an innocent victim if ever there was one. She'd done nothing but trust her cheating husband and try to fix her broken marriage. What thoughts raced through her mind the night of her execution, when the Grim Reaper ordered Heather to her knees and leveled a gun at her head? In this episode, you'll hear from Shauna Nelson, Heather Garris' romantic rival, and the woman accused of killing her in cold blood on a cold night in Greeley, Colorado. January 23rd, 2007.
1: Where are you today? What's going on with you today? I know your your time frame, your whereabouts. (laughs) I've been
2: home all day today with the baby. I don't know. You just want my whole day, is
0: (laughs) You'll also hear a police interrogation. One that doesn't sound like it came from any version of Law & Order. So, and you'll hear more on what detectives learned about
3: Ken Nelson's handgun. So now the big question, how does a gun that should have been on his hip at the time this murder happened turn out to be the murder weapon?
0: I'm Josh Mankowitz, and this is Episode 4 of Internal Affairs, a podcast from Dateline. To hear Shauna Nelson tell it, her bladder was about to burst.
2: Oh, my God, Greg.
0: <laughs> yes, she was cuffed to a stainless steel bar that was bolted to the wall. Yes, she was being accused of cold-blooded murder. And yes, she was facing a tough interrogation. But in that moment, as Shauna sat squirming and shifting in her chair, absolutely nothing seemed to matter more than finding a bathroom. Can we shut
2: this door and I'll just pee in this trash
0: can? It was the diet pills she'd been taking, Shauna said, that made her detention in a small six x 10 room so particularly unbearable.
3: Uh, we couldn't get a female officer there quick enough.
0: That's the voice of Detective Mike Prill. He, along with Detective Greg Tharp, were lead investigators on this case.
3: So Greg escorted her to the men's bathroom, and he just kind of stood in the doorway while she went into the stall. Um, and we took that opportunity to collect her clothes. So after she went to use the restroom, she changed out of her clothes, handed them over the door to Greg, he bagged them, and we put her in a uh, orange jail jumpsuit. Oh, thanks, Mark.
0: When Shauna returned to the interrogation room, she seemed in much better spirits.
1: I'm sorry, it took us that long. I thought
0: we got somebody closer. Prill says he and Tharp decided early on that Tharp was best suited
3: to do Shauna's interview. I'm like, dude, you know her. I I don't know her at all. She clearly likes you, so let's use that to our advantage and you do the interview. He wanted nothing to do with it. He just didn't want the responsibility of being part of a, a big case like that. This was going to be his first biggest case that he'd be involved in but he understood what I was getting at. So at about 7.30 that evening,
0: with Prill watching the video feed from another room, Greg Tharp started with the basics. You're
1: being detained right now for this investigation. Is this customary? Does you have the right to remain silent.
0: At this point, it's been a little more than an hour since Heather Garris was gunned down. But Shauna told Tharp she didn't know anything about any shooting. Detectives Tharp and Prill, of
1: course, believed she did. I know you, but that doesn't have any relevance over these rides. No, you still have to
2: do your job. I, I don't know what to do. I just, I mean, I don't, I don't know what my side is. I don't, I don't understand this. This is all kind of overwhelming, Greg. I, I know. One minute I'm like going to the liquor store and the next minute Ken's jumping out of the truck and I don't know. I don't know what to do. Oh, I'm so confused. I won't so, really hard to
1: not cry, okay? Oh, cool. I don't understand. I this, know. Greg. And, and we're going to get through this, okay? <laughs> we to
0: hold my hand? Sure. Over the years at Dateline, I've met my fair share of homicide cops, and not too many have struck me as the hand holding type. But Greg Tharp rolled with it.
1: Do you have any idea what we're inquiring about?
2: Yeah, Kel told me. I don't, I don't what did, know. What did Kel tell you? All he said was there was a shooting, and that you, I'm, they obviously want to talk to me. He just said they.
1: Well, there's a shooting just before they contacted you, and people are, are naming you as the suspect in the shooting.
2: How? Why? I don't know. What?
0: Shauna told the detective that since she'd quit her job as a Greeley police dispatcher, She'd been a stay at home mom with a routine as predictable as lather, rinse, repeat. Murder wasn't on the
2: list. I took the kids to school. I went home, cleaned house, I have laundry. I do laundry every day. Five people in the house, we do laundry all the time. Watched my soap, you know, just vacuumed.
0: At about three thirty, Shauna said she'd picked up the kids from school and taken them to Subway to get sandwiches for dinner. They were home by 4.40. After that, she said she asked Dylan, the eight-year-old, to watch the younger kids while she took a bath. She wasn't feeling well, Shauna said, had a headache.
2: A Couple days ago, I hit my head right here. I was opening the pantry door and I was leaning down to get the skillet and it, bam, came back and hit me in the head right here. And I just haven't felt very good. So I told the kid that I was going to take a bath tonight. They took Christian downstairs, the baby. They took Christian downstairs to play. And before I got in the tub, I thought, I'm going to run to the liquor store really quick. They won't even know I'm gone. And that's it. According
0: to Shauna, her clothes were too soiled to put back on. So she says she just reached in the dirty clothes hamper and grabbed something else, anything, for her trip to the liquor store. She dashed out of the house so fast, she said, that she forgot her shoes and her purse. She was trying to be quick, she said, because she didn't want her husband, Ken, to know she'd briefly left the kids home alone.
2: I had gone to the liquor store, and I got out in front, and I realized I didn't bring my purse. So I started back home, and he was calling. But I didn't want to answer the phone because I thought he'd be pissed if I told him I was going to the liquor store. And he left a message saying to call him. Shauna
0: said she was almost home, just turning off of 65th Street, when she saw the Jeep in front of her suddenly stop and her husband jump out to block the road. He
2: was yelling. He was so pissed.
0: It was about 30 minutes into the interview that Detective Tharp, a tall, dark haired man of about 40, shifted gears. Shauna seemed to sense a change was coming. She reached out. And rested her hand on his arm.
1: And I know this is a horrible spot, and and it's a bad spot for you. But what I what I absolutely need from you, Shana, and what you've always given me, is honest.
3: I've always you've always
1: been, been you've me. always been a good friend, and you've always been honest to me. I
2: don't know, Greg. Greg, I don't I don't know.
3: He's using good interview skills or technique, I suppose. He's he's uh, acting the friend. He's being straightforward. I need you to talk
1: to me. you can't fence up and try to go around it. Kind Gotta of get through this.
2: I don't know what else you want me to tell you. That was my whole day.
1: You know where our scene is in the shooting?
2: No.
1: Credit right you. Well,
2: Kel did tell you that.
1: We all know the history. We know what's going on.
2: Oh, well, I know. I know.
1: It doesn't that. Do you know who the victim is in this? What
2: well, happened so fast when Kel was I can't remember
0: if
1: Kyle told me now or not. I don't know.
0: It's Heather. <sighs> Shauna's only response to that, to the news that her romantic rival had just been murdered, was simply a sigh. This was the moment of truth. No more fencing, no more hand-holding. The detective knew. Witnesses to the shooting had said, the Grim Reaper spoke with a woman's voice, ran with a woman's gait. Two had even gone so far as to say, the shooter in the Grim Reaper costume was
1: Shauna Nelson. So the
0: detective pressed for a confession.
1: I'm not gonna try to come around you and trick you with any lies or any detective stuff. You know, you've been around this job long, 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 as long as I have, I think even longer than I have, so you know, you know what the game is. So i got to be straight with you. Shall we have you at that shooting scene. We have you identified Greg. at the shooting scene. And I got it. i got to talk to you now. We got
3: to get beyond. wasn't there. I've got to have an
1: explanation
3: Greg, as to what no, happened.
2: Greg, I'm, I don't know, Greg.
3: He didn't hide the ball at all, whereas Shauna was lying as often and as frequently as she could uh, during her interview. But then again, as I told Greg, just get her statement, whatever it is. If it's a lie, then get the lie. And then we will examine that statement after the fact.
1: And I know who you are and what you're about. And, and whatever happened tonight is not Shauna Nelson that I know. But what, I, what I have to have, have from you is, is some dialogue here. I've got to have some explanation as to what happened.
2: I don't know. I guess you better get me an attorney. I don't know what else to do.
0: With that, Detective Tharp stood up to handcuff Shauna and told her she was being charged with first degree murder. Then Shauna Nelson, intimately familiar with the long arm of the law, hitched up her prison pants and made a final request.
1: Can I
0: just give you a hug? Sure. Can I just give you a hug? She'd whispered. And then, while holding the detective in a full embrace, Shauna murmured, I'm so scared. Heather Garris' body was gone by the time Russell Keller pulled into the credit union parking lot. It was 7.10 p.m., about the time that Shauna was across town at the Greeley police station, squirming, waiting for someone to take her to a bathroom. When Keller got out of the department's CSI van, he went straight to the uniformed cops he saw standing beyond the yellow tape. They were the ones who told him what had happened. Igg's wife, Heather, had been shot twice, they said. The shooter wore a grim reaper mask. A witness had seen a suspect drive off in a dark-colored Ford pickup. Glancing around, Keller could clearly see the bloody spot where Heather Garris took her last breath. Her black shoulder bag, with her keys stacked on top, were right where she'd set them down. A few feet from the spot where Heather Garris died, Keller saw the kind of evidence he was looking for. There was a spent bullet and two
1: spent shell casings. They are PMC 40 caliber.
2: To
0: get a sense of Russell Keller, it might help to imagine the late actor Wilford Brimley, but with a shaved head. Keller is a thick-set fellow, about six foot tall with a bushy mustache and round, rimless glasses. Only in his mid-40s then... He looked older. Maybe 20-plus years of investigating bloody crime scenes had aged him. It happens. After bagging the bullet and the two .40-caliber shell casings, Keller walked over to the alley where Nick Walker, the off-duty bartender from the dugout, had seen the suspect run past him. He showed me a general area, and um, I just went from there. There was about three different
1: sets of... Uh, tire tracks back there.
0: All the tracks were different, but only one of those slushy tracks seemed consistent with the tread pattern on Ken Nelson's truck, the truck Shauna Nelson had been driving at the time of her arrest. So that is the one that I then put markers by, photographed, and it was measured and placed in the sketch. Then there was a, uh, a dental stone cast in the of that track. Back at the station house, Detectives Tharp and Prill we're taking a second look at the clothes Shauna Nelson had handed over while she was in the men's room, changing into her lockup orange.
3: The sweatpants she was wearing and the underwear were not hers. They were men's uh, uh, and very big. You know, so at the time they just, they're just oversized clothes. I, I, I'm not, I'm not uh, Noris Greg kind of realizing she's wearing her husband's dirty clothes wearing her husband's dirty clothes, driving her husband's truck.
0: Coincidence? Or something else? Over at the Greeley Police Garage, Ken Nelson's truck, covered with road salt and grit, was getting a thorough going over. There was a camo jacket in the back, Shauna's red razor cell phone, and a yellow rubber dish glove on the seat, a Kenny Chesney CD, was living on the floor. Oh, and ammo. Lots of ammunition in different calibers. Boxes of it in the back and in the glove box. The seats and dashboard tested positive for gunshot residue. No surprise, it was Ken Nelson's truck, and he was both a gun collector and an elk hunter. It was an item on the passenger side floor that really caught the attention of investigators a cheap nylon pullover Halloween mask, a black hood with red lining, and a black mesh face covering. That seemed damning, because witnesses had described the shooter wearing a mask just like that. Okay, but they'd also described the killer wearing a black robe, black gloves, and black shoes with a white stripe around the sole. And none of that getup was in the truck and neither was the most important item of all, the murder weapon. So, where was all of that? Factoring in the drive time from the credit union to where she was stopped, detectives figured Shauna would have had only a few minutes to hide critical evidence. That is, if she really was the murderer they thought she was. It wasn't until the next morning that a possible explanation surfaced. While out retracing all the various routes Shauna could have taken from the credit union, a Greeley patrolman spotted a black shoe. It was by an open field, sitting atop a snowbank. The shoe had a white stripe around the sole, just as witnesses described. This was near a bus stop shelter, about 700 feet from where Shauna had been stopped. Further up the road was the matching shoe. That one also
3: perfectly perched on top of the snowbank on one side of the road. I mean, there's a certain amount of luck that goes into this. I mean, one, we did find the shoes, so she that would demonstrate to us that she's flinging stuff out of the vehicle as she, as she's driving. Um, you know, did she throw the shoes out of the truck because she saw Ken in, in you know, just the short distance ahead of her? Detectives had a theory. What they did not have was
0: proof. Where was the rest of the Grim Reaper getup? The gloves, the black flowing gown?
3: Uh, How hard is it to throw a pair of gloves in a a graduation gown, for lack of a better term, um, out a window and it just blows away in the wind over the course of the next 12 hours? Maybe, it's certainly possible. Except, surely someone would have found
0: them and turned them in once they knew police were looking for them. And guns?
3: Well, they don't just blow away when flung out the window of a moving truck. We brought our city streets uh, snowplows out and plowed up the entire highway and then took all of the snow that was collected to a uh, large parking lot on the north end of town and secured that mound of snow until it melted just in case we collected the handgun.
0: As for those shoes, they were size 10 men's shoes. Shauna wore a woman's size 8. When investigators searched the Nelson home the day after the murder, they found it neat as a pin, downright orderly. The door to the master bedroom was locked, but once opened, detectives found a full bathtub. And that at least supported Shauna's story that she'd been running a bath. When she decided to rush out for a bottle of wine. Elsewhere in the house, detectives found several guns and several more boxes of ammo. They also found something else a topless photo of Shauna's friend, Michelle Moore. Detectives didn't know what to make of it. Were Shauna and Michelle lovers?
2: Michelle Moore said that she was not having a relationship with Shauna, other than they were friends.
0: Shauna's sister, Deb Smith.
2: She had sent Shauna nude pictures of herself. I find it very hard to believe... You've seen these? I have seen them, and so has the rest of the world. I find it hard to believe that, you know, I'm sure you have male friends. Do you send nude pictures of yourself?
0: Just the really close ones.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Those are the kind of things that you think... that make you think, why? It doesn't make sense.
0: Based purely on the physical evidence, The case against Shauna Nelson seemed about as airtight as a screen door. There was no DNA to connect Shauna to the crime. The truck? Well, there are a lot of black Ford pickup trucks in Greeley. No, what detectives needed was the murder weapon.
4: Seeking the truth never gets old.
0: The spring of 2007 was a busy time for detectives Prill and Tharp. Not only were they hip deep in a murder investigation, but their entire department was in the process of moving to a brand new building. There were files to pack and unpack. Decisions to be made about decades of office flotsam. What to pitch, what to save. For Prill and Tharp, at least one decision was easy every scrap of paper, every photograph, every record they had pertaining to the Shawna Nelson investigation was going into a spanking new conference room
3: they had commandeered as a kind of war room. We had our computers pulled in. We had some uh, two desks brought in. Uh, we got rid of all the conference tables except for one. Um, so we could, you know, four or five of us could sit around and, and talk or strategize. We, uh, Push-pinned a bunch of stuff, timelines, cell phone records, photographs and the like. They
0: always hate it when the place is brand new and you're putting up stuff on the walls.
3: Yeah, Uh, and to this day, I can still see a couple of, you know, we're just talking a little thumbtacks. These
0: were the grinded-out months, shoe-leather detective work. The detectives building a murder case against their prime suspect, Shauna Nelson, one tiny detail at a time there were witnesses to interview and then re-interview. Family and friends of key players questioned again and again. By March 2007, two months after the murder, one of the clean white walls in the new war room was becoming covered with photos of Heather, Ig, Shauna, Michelle Moore, and others. In another spot, a timeline based on known interactions was taking shape dates, times, locations, and logs of phone calls made or received, as well as their duration. By early summer, most of the items on their to-do list had been checked off.
3: I think it's right around the time I'm, I'm contemplating what types of things should we send to the to the lab. You know, Shauna's shoes, the clothes, um, the shell casings from the scene, the spent bullet from the scene. Uh, oh, look, we have this gun in evidence as well that Ken handed over. And Greg is like, why would, we, why would we want to turn that in? It was on his hip when this murder happened. I'm like, I don't know, man, let's just be, let's just be thorough. Um, so we submitted it. Ah,
0: the gun. Ken Nelson's gun. It had been in the property lockup since he'd turned it over on the night of the shooting. For the life of them, Prill and Tharp couldn't figure out why Ken Nelson would turn over his service weapon. His colleagues at the drug task force had never asked him. And by the time detectives found out about it, Ken Nelson had lawyered up. And why was that? Well, because by then, Ken Nelson was also being investigated for evidence tampering.
3: And so it all stems back to the fact that I saw the driver's side door open.
0: It had been one of those enduring riddles. How could the driver's side door of Ken's truck have been open? Imagine, an unmarked police car blocking the right-hand lane and a pickup truck driven by Shauna blocking the other. By all accounts, Shauna had scooted out the passenger side to talk with her husband. No one who was there admits to ever opening the truck's driver's side door.
3: Kel just has no recollection of Ken going to the driver's side. Um, Fortunately fortunately for me, at least, two high school kids leaving school that night encountered these two vehicles facing westbound on 18th Street. They could see two men with a woman at the passenger side of the uh, truck.
0: Those kids had been leaving a high school basketball game to grab a snack when they'd encountered the tie-up. Traffic stopped in both directions. They couldn't go anywhere, but according to the kids, while they waited, they did see this.
3: And they witnessed a male who seemed to be arguing with the female walk around the front of the truck to the driver's side and reach in and remove something from the truck. Uh, They were never sure what it was he removed from the vehicle. Kids speculated that he reached in and turned off the vehicle, but that's not true. It was running when we got on scene. What exactly was removed?
0: Well, given the circumstances, the detectives had a hunch it was likely the murder weapon. If it was, and if Ken Nelson had disposed of it in an effort to cover for his wife, then that made Ken a party to the crime. Now, here's the thing Detectives Prill and Tharp had an even bigger riddle on their hands. Because the firearms analysis report from the lab was in. The results? a mixed bag. The lone bullet recovered at the scene could not be matched to a specific gun. But the results on the 40 caliber shell casings were conclusive. Those casings found near Heather Garris' body had been fired by Ken Nelson's service weapon, the same gun he'd handed over to fellow officer Jonathan Trahan
3: just after the shooting. So now the big question, how does a gun that should have been on his hip at the time this murder happened, turned out to be the murder weapon.
0: Remember, Kel Halsey said the first thing Ken did when he climbed into the passenger seat of his Jeep that night was hand him his gun so he wouldn't be tempted to use it if he caught up with Shauna. Halsey had put the gun under the seat of Ken Nelson's Jeep. And that's where it was when Ken
3: left Halsey with Shauna, and drove off to check on his kids. Our theory is that he removed the murder weapon from the truck, put it into his empty holster because the gun that was in that holster is under the passenger seat of the Jeep. Then he drives and picks up his kids.
0: Stick with me here because this is a little confusing. Detectives theorized that with the possible murder weapon in his holster and the gun he'd handed Kel Hulsey bouncing around under the front seat, Ken Nelson had gotten confused as to which gun was which.
3: He confused himself and believed he had his duty weapon in his holster, and the gun bouncing around on the floorboard was the the murder weapon. That's what he confused in his own brain. Um, and so he gets rid of his kids, you know, turns them over to his family, and then finds some location, and God knows in this town and in, in, in this county, that's not hard, and threw away the wrong gun. And then at the task force, um, for whatever reason, he offers up his gun.
0: Confusing? Oh, yes. But the fact was, spent casings at the scene matched a gun that Ken Nelson had thought was on his hip at the time of the murder. Had he somehow taken a different gun to work that day, by mistake? Detectives didn't know. But after rummaging around the Nelson home, that certainly seemed plausible.
3: But he had more than one 40 caliber handgun at the house. He was he was into his guns, Um and I don't know if he carried different types at different times at work, uh, but she just, her, her plan, we believe, was to uh, uh, plant this gun back at the house and make it look like Ken somehow had murdered uh, uh, Heather, or at least it was gonna misdirect the investigation. It was only a theory, a convoluted
0: theory at that, but it could not easily be dismissed. After all, Shauna had been driving her husband's truck and wearing her husband's clothes with his DNA on them when she was arrested. So if the ultimate goal had been to eliminate anyone who stood in the way of Shauna's happiness, well then ensuring that bullet casings at the murder scene traced back to a gun owned by an inconvenient spouse might be considered a convenient twofer. But the way Shauna now saw it, she hadn't been the only one in that triangle with an inconvenient spouse. Ig, she thought, also had a motive for murder. But
2: he definitely knows more than he's saying, and that's the part that irritates me while I'm sitting in here. He got
3: rid of both of
2: you. That's pretty sick.
0: Next time on Internal Affairs.
1: end up giving me a polygraph. What? Yeah. They accused me of when we stopped you going through the Driver's side, getting the gun taken out and hiding it. What? Yeah. And then told me I blatantly failed. I'm really thinking about calling Dateline. He's totally lying, no. <laughs> Who is?
2: In the call. Yeah, big uh, surprise. Yeah, saying that he was only in a relationship with me because he felt like I was blackmailing him into staying and in then I would tell Heather and he, that's never how it was. That's never, ever how
0: it was. Internal Affairs is a production of Dateline and NBC News. Tim Beecham is the producer. David Varga and Jonathan Moser are audio editors. Matt Sullivan is assistant audio editor. Susan Knoll is senior producer. Adam Gorfain is co-executive producer. Liz Cole is executive producer. And David Corvo is senior executive producer. From NBC News Audio, Bryson Barnes is technical director. Sound mixing by Bob Mallory. Nina Bisbano is associate producer.